Monsters Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, and I'm joined by Professor Wagstaff, Venomous Vinny, Hot Toddy. Hey, good to be with you again, friends, as we revisit one of our new formats that we're really enjoying a little thing called Monster Piece Theater. Something that may, uh, we cover films that may have come up in other things, but probably won't. And so, just a chance to gush on some of our favorite films from history. Monsterpiece Theater, to get a chance to talk about things that may not get talked about. So here we are, and tonight we're talking about RoboCop, which is horror-adjacent. We'll talk about that when we cover it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from Dusk Till Dawn. I don't know if you guys knew this. It, it There is the word from in there. I always just call it Dusk Till Dawn. It's on my shelf in the D section, but technically <laughs> it is from Dusk Till Dawn. We knew that, yes. You can read. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Hot Toddy, where are we starting at? We'll start with RoboCop, 1987, directed by Paul Ver- Verhoeven. Verhoeven, yes. Uh, starring Peter Weller, Nancy Allen, <clears throat> Dan O'Hearley, Ronnie Cox, Kurtwood Smith, Miguel Ferrer, Ray Wise, and Robert Duque. Duque? Absolutely. And then um, special effects, which I always butcher his name too, but Rob Botton? Bolton? Bolton? I think it's Botton. Michael Bolton. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I believe this suggestion was from the Venomous One. It was from me. Uh, I suggested it. I And the argument I made, I think the argument can be made for RoboCop as a horror movie but i don't think the remainder of the series the same can be said i think there's enough special blood and gut special effects in this it's kind of a frankenstein-esque story uh you're dealing with cyborg so yes definitely sci-fi but i think it's horror adjacent enough that it could be discussed so i put it forth and everybody agreed that yeah it's close enough It, it it works for the show and even as a view of a dystopian future. Yes. Right? Yes. I mean, because anytime you bring up dystopian, it's going to be sci-fi and horror blend. Yes. And 90% of your dystopian futures are zombie movies. And so this mm-hmm. is a good dystopian future that's not a zombie movie. Yeah. And and I feel like uh, a lot of sci-fi movies, too, you get um, a lot of movies people will talk about when they're kids. They weren't allowed to watch. There's a lot of sci-fi movies that kids weren't allowed to watch either. I feel like... RoboCop kind of walked that line, and I feel like RoboCop Two probably walked the line even further because it was gorier. Maybe not better, but and gorier. That's, that's my earliest memory of RoboCop. When I think about when the film came out, you know, we all grew up with the same experience in that we all had to cover our eyes for titties, but we could watch any violence we wanted <laughs> mm-hmm. to. 
because that's just that's that was America in the eighties. Were you allowed to watch him shoot a dick off? <laughs> <laughs> so that's what's funny is I remember when you know the scene where uh, RoboCop is a, a person is getting shot to bits. I remember my mom like <laughs> turning to my dad and be like, "Should he be watching this?" Because it's that graphic. It's pretty intense. My yeah. dad wouldn't let me see that particular. The hand is the one my dad wouldn't let me see yeah. when I was younger. He he would. Have me, he'd fast forward, have me close my eyes and fast forward past the hand specifically. Yeah. So, before, I guess before we get into anything else, do we want to hit a synopsis? Anybody want to do it? You want me to do it? I was offering it to you. Okay. Uh, so, we're in the not too distant future in Detroit, New Detroit. And the police department has become run and owned by a corporation. Uh, Cop. The city is full of violence. Cops are getting killed constantly. Uh, cops are threatening to go on strike. All of which is playing into the hands of OCP, who owns the police force, who wants to redevelop old Detroit. And you got to run down all the property values and everything else by letting the crime run rampant. The criminals are tied directly, you find out later, within to OCP. So you have a new cop who's kind of come in from the suburbs, He's been transferred in because they've had X amount of cops killed in the last week. He gets brought into New Detroit, paired. His name is Alex Murphy. He is paired with his new partner. Uh, why did my Lewis and Lewis? And they are immediately their first day sent out on a call against Clarence Boddicker and his gang, who are notorious cop killers, super violent. They can't get back up. So they decide to go at it alone. They get separated. And <laughs> Alex Murphy is brutally murdered by these gangsters. But OCP has a program that they've been chomping at the bit to try to create a cybernetic police officer. They eventually want a police force. And Alex Murphy is what gets used to create this cyborg cop. There's okay. there's the basics of it there's for anybody who hasn't seen it. Vinny uh, did that with no notes, all off the top of his head. Good memory. <laughs> I've seen this movie so many times in my life. Which, which uh, there's also a key scene a little earlier on where they do the test of the uh, of the the weird robotic. Oh, the Ed two oh nine, where it just comes in, just murders that dude. <laughs> Man, yeah, yeah, it's brutal. <laughs> Yeah, what do you like, think the budget was for squibs alone in this movie? Right? Yeah, well, it's like when that happens, it's uh, yeah, let, let's go ahead and get them, let's privatize the police department with them. This is this is a good idea. They just, <laughs> yeah. just accidentally shot one of their board members out of the high rise here. Sure, guys, here's the keys. <laughs> keys to the kingdom here. Yeah, it's it's such an interesting first film that would spawn these sequels and then also spawn a toy line, video games, a cartoon series, yeah, a TV series. <laughs> it's crazy. A, re- a remake. Just it, those wild times in the eighties where a rated R movie can then become a Saturday morning cartoon, along with Rambo, <laughs> bowl of cereal, and and the Toxic Avenger and yeah. all that other shit. Right, 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 right. Yeah, it's it's crazy, and it's it's such a part of the the public lexicon and pop culture that's like. You go back and you watch it, you're like, 
This was a bleak, dark, brutal movie. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This, pr- this produced a toy and cartoon line for for kids our generation to then produce prudish parents. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've said to people who grew up in our generation, we grew up with parents who left us alone all the time. And then we turned into parents who are helicopter parents. <laughs> there has to be an in between somewhere. You gotta find a balance. But I was real. I was young when I saw this movie, and I think most everybody was pretty young when they saw this movie. Yeah, same. I'm probably uh, the outlier here. This wasn't a big deal in my childhood. Really? Like I watched it, and I had friends that liked it, but it wasn't like a driving factor that I stayed obsessed with. You didn't, like, root for him, like, shoot him in the dick! (laughs) I was probably practicing Charlie Chaplin dances, to be perfectly honest, but um, yeah, I I kind of figured, I feel like generationally, this is a big deal to to most people our age. And I can see why. It's just, I missed the boat on it a little bit. But I did see it back then. Well, you've got the whole thing where not only has has he been turned into this, so you've got that cool sci-fi angle of things where it's this robot man uh, Robocop, you don't see a single arrest on screen until Clarence Boddicker. It's just him beating the fuck out of and blowing the shit out of people. Like, and then, uh, but then comes the, the, the deeper stuff where his memories start to resurface. And he's not a human being anymore. Yeah. But he's having these flashes come back of his old life, and it's got that frankenstein feel to it where you feel sorry for the monster but he's also the hero uh who who's the actor red foreman who plays clarence boddicker what's that guy's name Kurtwood smith man he is unbelievable in this movie and how many 80s assholes can <laughs> oh, you fit just in a one film just a lineup one of those guys would do be enough in any other movie and you've got a collection of the biggest dickheads of '80s villain cinema brought together into this into this movie. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and I just looked at my notes, and this is the last time I'll say the word. But you know, you brought up Frankenstein, I brought up dystopian future. My note is it's a dystopian Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Like that's the idea behind it, and um, everything like. There's a great attention to detail, like everything down to the way that his old partner recognizes him by the way he spins his gun and puts Mm -hmm. it back in his holster because he was practicing that because that's what his kid wanted to see. Mm -hmm. Because his kid liked that action TV show that had a guy who did that. And when his kid was 12, he claimed to be another kid so that he could get to Hollywood and meet that guy. (laughs) Ooh, callback. Stop. Oh, no. But it goes back to what you were talking about with, like, he just keeps having these shades of memory of what he used to be and it's who like he was. life finds a way. <laughs> you know what? I quit. <laughs> well, and, and, and somehow, amidst all this really bleak stuff, it, it's that 80s action movie on steroids. But then, somehow they still have you laughing at parts. In this bleak ass, violent ass movie, the I'll buy that for a dollar. <laughs> that running gag works. It's one of my most used gifts. <laughs> but yeah, it's a. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's the perfect movie, but to me, it's a perfect movie. Mm. Something about it just fires on all cylinders. It's, I'm trying to think of what's a negative I can take away from it, and I don't know if it's just nostalgia, but I really don't have anything I can 
Because it gets moving pretty fucking quick. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you jump into it. I mean, when I think historically on it, uh, I'm somewhere between you and Wilson. Like, it, was, it wasn't it was one of my favorites, mm-hmm. um, but it wasn't something that was outside of my, you know, my repertoire as a kid. Um, and I don't watch it that often. And, in fact, revisiting it, I've, it's probably been a decade since I watched it. Yeah. I love that there's stop motion. Mm-hmm. Like, I always forget about that. Yeah, really just cool. I I am a fan of all that old style of stuff. I love that. I would rather see things like that than CGI, quite honestly, mm-hmm. just because it's just more creative to me. And I and I understand a lot goes into CGI, but to me, it's that hands-on type of deal that adds to it. There, it's a great revenge film as well like you you get that satisfaction out of it i think the human elements help that yeah that that you're mentioning like that kind of reinvests you in wanting to get those bad guys because it starts to meander a little bit because we're exploring the action and having fun yeah and that kind of grounds it again it's like oh wait we want them yep exactly toddy you're a pretty big fan of this well i was gonna say too uh i i feel like um there are some things against the movie and i I feel like it's it's weird because even even those things worked itself out because um, the special effects. So, um, a few things kept making it X-rated, which this is the first time too I watched the unrated cut. Uh, which there's a few things probably thrown in. There's probably still a, a whole other cut there somewhere. Probably, but um, you know, there's there's a few things where it's just so over the top that it's whatever. But then there's some other stuff that's pretty horrific. Um, like the guy that gets kind of like the waste thrown on. Oh, him the and, toxic waste guy. Um, <laughs> but don't I, touch me, man. I know uh, there was a big uh, so I guess Rob and um, and Paul like were fighting on the set like they had a big dispute over um, his the RoboCop's makeup when his when his they first show him with the helmet off in particular but I guess when they actually screened the movie that it was everybody was so impressed that like because Rob went on to do Total Recall after this oh yeah so another big deal obviously they worked things out and I think everybody was impressed with the movie because I think this was another movie too. That a lot of people turned down, and on paper it was like nobody's going to go see. On this paper, movie. it does not look like it should be anything <laughs> other than a a, a B shitter movie. Yeah, because I think too when this movie was coming out, nobody thought it was going to do well. And in any other era, it would have been a shitter yeah. B movie. Well, it's kind of an interesting intersection too, because you have over a decade of <clears throat> revenge on criminals getting away with everything. I mean, that's Wish, Dirty Harry movies that we've talked yeah. about on the show before in different aspects, but it's like we're still kind of running the course with that, but then you mix in that kind of overindulgence of the mid-80s where everything's starting to look at technology and what we can incorporate into plot lines with computers and, and special effects, and it's like this perfect storm for this this movie at that point. And it's interesting, too, because this director in Verhoeven has really had his ideas of America in repeated movies afterwards as well. Yeah. I mean, even something like Showgirls, it's like his concepts of our excess makes for pretty entertaining movie, right. movies. Um, but I, I do think it's it's an interesting snapshot of that moment to where I don't think that movie gets made anywhere near the way it does 10 years later if that script comes up. So yeah. it's it's kind of like this perfect encapsulation of of that just excessive 80s fun but set against the backdrop of none of that in the story yeah so well and to, and to use this too to almost 
essentially write him a blank check for Total Recall yeah. afterwards because Total Recall is my jam. Like that's my favorite of his films. Just because there's a third titty. <laughs> <laughs> What's better than two titties, son? Three of them. Is he Starship uh, Troopers also? Yes. Uh, I believe maybe. I'm pretty sure because Basic Instinct. If only we had a computer in our hands. <laughs> if so, <laughs> I forgot about the, yeah. If so, Starship Troopers is my favorite. But I do I like Total Recall better than this. But you don't get Total Recall without this. Sure. Well, and I've seen interviews with Peter Weller, and like Jaws, uh, so much of the special effects did not go right for this movie. Well, RoboCop was supposed to look totally different, and when they got the suit, it just didn't work the way Weller had been work, <laughs> training to, to perform it. And I be- also believe it was super hot, and I think he lost a shitload of weight wearing he that outfit. He was losing outfit. pounds per day. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> That's crazy. But the look, for it to be the same actor... I was getting ready is, to say ...is that. incredible. The fact that he he played the part in the costume, yes. I think, is another selling point of Absolutely. this movie. Because the build is so different from what Alex Murphy was, this small, slender guy to this big hulking piece of metal, you wouldn't think that would be the same actor inside except for close-ups. You know what I mean? But, but it was Peter Weller the whole time. The way they did the head and just, it looks like skin mm-hmm. wrapped, pulled so back cool. over the oh, top yeah. of... Yeah, like, it looks so good. So good. But I, I think something, like when he even would get in the car, that it would, it like, the, it just, the suit just didn't do well in the car, mm-hmm. that it would be the top half and him in his underwear. So like the pandemic <laughs> zoom outfits. <laughs> yes, he did do Starship Troopers, which is one of my favorite films. I was gonna say that's what instantly made Ever. me think of it when you <laughs> so co- co-ed showering and third titties. <laughs> I think the, another important it's takeaway here is that Rob Botten continues to be the jam. He did the special effects of so many movies that people love, mainly the Thing, yeah, and the Howling. Yeah, I think RoboCop holds a special place for people of of our generation. I think there's a huge fan base there, and I think that I and I know that I see merch at horror cons and things like that. So I think we're all in agreement. It's it's certainly sci-fi, but it's not far off from being horror. I, I honestly think it's an interesting uh, comparison to kind of the, the Frankenstein yeah. storyline. I've never really thought about that, even though it's pretty obvious for the movie. So. Yeah, it's, that's interesting. I, and it's I, this company that wants to play God. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Yeah, mm-hmm. it really is in a lot of ways a, a, just a very 80s retelling. Yeah. As, against the, the 80s action movie. Just a lot of fun. And I think there's a lot of nostalgia wrapped up in the presentation, kind of the analog, uh, like vision for RoboCop and all of the news, the mock news stuff that we're creating. It's just so much of it just instantly when you start it, you're tapped into that moment. Well, and it's just, and so much of it is just, like it shows the it's it's a commentary on everything too. It's a commentary on our uh, advertising, uh, on our news media, on corporations, corporate on control of things, on uh, American corporate greed. Like mm-hmm. getting shot in the dick. Yes, it's <laughs> it. I and I always think that sci-fi does that the best of anything, where they can comment on social issues without beating you over the head with it and. Weave it into the fabric of the fantasy that you're in, and kind of go under the radar. Whereas a straightforward movie that was trying to comment on those things wouldn't be received as well. I think it helps too that they often show you the results first before the point. Mm-hmm. They get you all wrapped up in where yeah. you're at, and then they go, "Oh, by the way, 
is how we got here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bitch. Uh, I like that the uh, the boss at OCP is the guy from Silver Shamrock in yep. Halloween 3. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so many 80s villains. <laughs> oh, yeah. I also like that the uh, the Ed 209 had big ATST vibes from Return oh, of the yeah. Jedi. <laughs> Did you like how it squealed like a pig when it was on its back? <laughs> <laughs> I like to watch it walk around the stairs. <clears throat> Which, um... <laughs> Really had no idea, but uh, when we were in, uh, Wilson and I were in Dallas, I had a friend that was like, did you know that uh, some key shots were of RoboCop were shot here? No, no idea. So the, uh, the would it be the police station? Yeah. Well, the police station was there. It was there. real awkward, because we were like, trying to make sure we weren't going to get... <laughs> Get something said to us, screwing around out there. But the police station, uh, the futuristic building mm-hmm. uh, that the corporation was in. Uh, yeah, it's like an upside down triangle. Yeah. Oh, okay. So the, the the top part's all, you know, just added in later. But um, yeah, so a lot of the core places are Dallas, hmm. where JR was shot. Yeah. Where we also visited. Where JFK uh, was also shot. Yeah. yeah where we also visited. <laughs> <laughs> Vinny started to say something, then he got lost in the Oh, sauce. no, I... Uh, he was picturing the he feels guy getting gypped. shot in the dick. He's like, Detroit? But in Dallas? <laughs> I remember Michigan. having a couple of the toys when I was a kid, and the RoboCop had the thing on his back where you put the caps. Yep. The, the, the uh, roll of caps in their back. So you could pow, 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 oh, man, I remember that. Yep. I, I, I just pictured the toy that. ad where two kids are playing and doing the voices, and like... I just shot you in the dick. <laughs> Bye, Mattel. Your move, creep. So we keep uh, referencing that. There's a great scene where uh, there's a creep. Uh, two creeps. To, yeah, two creeps trying to rob rape a woman, and uh, RoboCop zeroes in and shoots through her skirt <laughs> to shoot the creep who's holding her in the ding dong. And I'm I'm not sure that you can do that without first reading somebody the Miranda rights. <laughs> not when you're a robot. <laughs> oh, yeah. no. Not when the police are on strike in Detroit. Yeah, not when there's an imminent threat. <laughs> that one where he's in the liquor store, he walks in the guy and he just clotheslines the guy <laughs> fifty feet in to, through the glass of like a freezer, and then that's it. Just he starts walking away. You only need the Miranda rights when you place them under arrest. That's true. Billy. That's true. Yeah, and he had a gun. Them, smoke him. Yeah. He had a gun. So <laughs> what a what a night it's been where we went about talking shit on the LAPD in our uh, <laughs> changing episode to now defending. RoboCop's actions. <laughs> yes. We now love the police. <laughs> I like it when Clarence Boddicker, he's just thrown him through plate glass because he has remembered that he's the one who fucking murdered him and robbed him of his life and family. And uh, Boddicker is saying, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm paid for him. I'm, I'm bought. Like, I'm OC, I work for OCP, you know. And uh, he just keeps throwing him through his plate glass and RoboCop takes him into the police station and he's all fucking cut up. And he says, book him. And he says, what, what's the crime? He's like, he's a cop killer. Then Boddicker just spits a giant wad of blood on the paperwork and goes, just give me my fucking phone call. <laughs> <laughs> we were literally watching that 70s show today, and I'm like, there's Boddicker. <laughs> yeah, it's hard Dumb to look ass. at him see with Clarence Boddicker. Yeah, I like the, uh, direct, the three directives. Uh, serve the public trust, protect the innocent, uphold the law. And then the fourth directive that they keep cryptic oh. and classified until we learn you know, that it's uh, we're going to shut your ass down if you try and arrest one of the people within the company. Yeah. But they fire the guy. And there. then he blows him away. Yep. Which that was, uh, yeah, Ronnie Cox, uh, Bogle Meal from 
Beverly Hills Cop. Beverly Hills so. Cop. <clears throat> and we also have as one of the bad guys, uh, old boy from Digging Up the Marrow, right? Ray Weiss. Ray yep. Weiss, yeah, that's right. Yep. <laughs> the Twin Peaks. Yep. Leland. Yeah, that's a good one. Well, I that was funny, though. I we, we did have fun. That was the last thing we did in Dallas before we left was out there trying to map out. I mean, we looked like goobers just out in the <laughs> middle of intersections trying to get at the right angle from afar where the building was like it was in the movie. <clears throat> Good times. Um, so, a few extra facts. So, uh, Robocop opened July 17th, 1987 on a $13 million budget. Opening weekend made $8 million, Went on to make $53 million. And had a body count of 28. <laughs> Damn. It went on to do two sequels, one remake, a TV series, I believe a cartoon series, yep. right? Yep. Uh, and then uh, in the works is RoboCop Returns, which is a direct sequel to RoboCop. Is, is Weller going to be in it? I I don't know. I don't know. I know that that remake was fucking awful. Awful. I didn't care too much for it. I, li- I remember liking two, and then three. Weller wasn't RoboCop. I liked anymore. three better than two, actually. And I heard that Weller wanted to do that movie, yeah. But so- his schedule didn't work for it. So I'm curious because because this is supposed to pick up. This is supposed to be the direct sequel, so. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, in video games, there was a Nintendo game. Oh man, there was all kinds. Yeah, there was yeah. a comic books. Cereal. It was a big deal. I remember. If I'm not. If I remember correctly, Dark Horse Comics did a RoboCop versus Terminator miniseries, mm. and I think Predator, because you know Predator, Predator well, fights everybody. Yeah, Dark Horse Comics is going to throw Predator into any <laughs> that's, that's true. Yeah, when you get those rights, yeah, it's very true. <laughs> Here comes Puka. So, yeah, Robert Cop. Robert Cop too. Yeah. Before uh, we move on, I want to throw out that this is kind of like uh, a dystopian Frankenstein. <laughs> just come up with that yes right. if i could if i could tell you all how dystopian this dystopian film is from a dystopian point of view now this was in the future of 1992 though yes. i don't know did it say what year it took place i don't know in? if you pay attention <laughs> yeah it, it weren't far off we'll put it out there they weren't far off in reality either like half of detroit has lights anymore just or, lost a few listeners. Or drinkable water. Anyways, moving on. That's flat. Good times. All right. So to the to the B side from from what <laughs> Dusk Till Dawn, nineteen ninety six, directed by Robert Rodriguez, written by Robert Kurtzman and Quentin Tarantino, starring <laughs> Harvey Keitel, George Clooney. Juliette Lewis, Quentin Tarantino, Ernest Liu, Selma Hayek, Cheech Marin, Danny Trejo, Tom Savini, Fred Williamson, Michael Parks, John Saxon, Kelly Preston, and special effects supervisor Howard Berger. Nicely done. That's Berger? Quite a few. Damn near children. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Damn you. <laughs> <clears throat> what a film. Who, who chose this? Me. Okay. Yes. Would you like to elaborate? <laughs> oh, sure. Uh, well, uh, so there's a really memorable open, and we can come back to that, yep. that opens in the gas station. Um, but basically the, the yeah, whole... I know. You've probably been there. Yeah, no, I haven't. <laughs> uh, suck me. Um, so <laughs> basically we open the movie with the Gecko brothers, uh, Seth and Richie, who are basically robbing a shit ton of places, and they're on their way. 
And we also get to know Richie, the brother, a little bit, who's off. Um, rapist, murderer, not just Robin This Banks. is the role that Quentin Tarantino was born to play, <laughs> let's be perfectly honest. Love's feet. Yeah. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so you've got them, but then we've also got the Fuller family, uh, which is made up of Jacob Fuller, who is a pastor struggling uh, with crisis in faith after he's lost his wife, and he's got uh, son Scott, daughter Kate, and they're in their RV. Uh, we have these two parties meet each other at a motel they're staying at where uh, the Gecko brothers take the family hostage and basically hop in the RV with them and force them to take them to get across the border because they are going to uh, head to a little little, little fun place called the Titty Twister. <laughs> and they are going to meet uh, their connection there. Uh, they have to wait till morning for that. But so uh, basically we find ourselves at the Titty Twister where we then arrive and the party starts there. Uh, we got to pause there. Yeah. We got to pause there. Is that what that was? I thought you were describing the titty twister. Like, <laughs> <laughs> And the reason I say we have to pause there, we need to talk about this part of the film. Because it's its own story. This is two different movies. It is. Right. Oh, yeah. I, I, I was saying that in the car that um, I took my dad to see this. And my dad, not that he wasn't enjoying the movie, but my dad kept going... I thought you said this is a scary movie. <laughs> and, I mean, he still enjoyed it, but he said this about 20 times. I won't go any further because I don't want to give anything away the, for the first half of the movie, but but I heard that about 20 times the first hour in. <laughs> I just want to say that when, like, 13-year-old me saw this movie, <laughs> it was unlike anything I'd ever seen in my life. You know what I mean? Right. Um... Give me the timeline here. This is after. Is this after Pulp Fiction? This is after Pulp Fiction. Yes. But I didn't see Pulp Fiction at that age. So I'd never seen Pulp Fiction. I hadn't seen Reservoir Dogs, etc., etc. I think maybe I had seen Desperado, but it didn't really click with me. And I remember watching this movie at 13 or 14 and being like, this is... This is the kind of stuff I want to watch. <laughs> like, just the, it's slick, it's sharp. The uh, the dialogue, the script. I mean, everything about it. Like, it's so on point. And like, Carrie and I were talking about when we watched this that we, you know, we've been together seven or eight years now. We've never watched it together. We may have watched it separately once or twice, but even having not watched it in that amount of time how many lines you remember, how many scenes you remember, how, how so much of this film is memorable and honestly unforgettable. You know, uh, it's just, it's got a little, little, little soft spot in my heart. I've got a counterpoint to that. <laughs> Shut up. A different point of view. <laughs> I saw this, I was nuts for Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction when they came out. That shit to me was unlike anything I had ever seen before. I was like 16 or 17, so I'm having a different view. You know what I mean? I'm starting. Things are are mine now. It's not what my parents watched. These are things I'm getting fresh that I choose that I like. And so when I. It was sold very big as a Quentin Tarantino movie. Mm. So when you go into it expecting Reservoir Dogs, you go into it expecting Pulp Fiction, I was disappointed. Hmm. 
from that perspective at that age. You don't like Latinos? No. That, that, <laughs> <laughs> Take him to task, Todd. Now, that's that's initial viewing. So that was you. That was your first experience. That's my first experience. Is I just wasn't as, as thrilled with it because I was expecting more of the same from Quentin Tarantino. I didn't realize what it really meant. His involvement really was. Sure, he had to write the dialogue for this. He wrote it. Yeah, I was going to yeah, say it's that's... based on a story that had already been started. Oh, like Full, Kurtzman, full but... Tilt Boogie, or no, that's the documentary about this. Yeah, but, um, but I was going to say, dialogue wise, it's right there with him. Yeah, and he guaranteed wrote in the foot part for its own role. <laughs> oh yeah, um, which is fun. So this couldn't have been a better opening experience for me. Um, I already. Reservoir Dogs was not on my radar as a kid uh, prior to um, that because that was kind of a you know an indie darling and, and Sundance and all that and then Pulp Fiction caused a lot of people to go back and watch it so I'm not sure if I was fully obsessed with Reservoir Dogs but I was with Pulp Fiction so I know I've told the story a number of times about how I called the rental store because they made the mistake of promising their uh, Pulp Fiction poster to yeah, to the Al video yep every day I'd call done with the poster yet they finally gave it to me uh, but between that and then Desperado uh, which was a big deal to my friends as well we loved it so I went and saw this opening weekend with friends and their parents took us and went and um, it, it was one of the most thrilling experiences I can remember having at that young of an age with a new movie because it was so explicit but it also it's like it was it was like it was combining these worlds that I had quickly become infatuated with so it was like seeing so much of a Tarantino with the talking, but in the Robert Rodriguez, you know, Tex-Mex violence, just environment. Um, and then, you know, you get mixed in, you've got uh, a beautiful Salma Hayek in there, um, which we hadn't got to that yet, but the dance that she does, uh, and even my fear of snakes, it's, it's not bothered you're, by that. You were scared and excited. Yeah. Um, the strangest boner. And yeah, and it's just, <laughs> no kidding. Maybe something to link to this, but when when you look back on this now, it's 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 insane to see how quick the industry has changed, because you look at how insane this movie is and over the top, and the legitimate cast and money that it has. Um, it's just I don't know. It's just kind of this one of a kind movie um, where you've got you know the talents of like you know Harvey Keitel, long established at this yeah. point. Um, and then, you know, guys like Fred Williamson coming back for fun. It's just mixed in with with how nuts the violence gets and the and the special effects. You got K and B doing all that. You even have Greg Nicotero popping up there in a small role at the Titty Twister. Um it's just I, I can't stress enough how quote unquote cool this movie was when it came out. I was infatuated with it and I still am. Yeah. I mean, like it's you look at George Clooney. Five years from then, he'd never be caught dead in the movie. No. Like that. But, man, he owns it. And they're just... Never been cooler. Yeah, it's just... Yeah. Everything about that movie was... Oh, y'all it. ain't seen Batman or Robin? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Maybe as Danny Oceans, but, yeah. yeah I was never been 14 cooler. when it came out. Yeah. It didn't get much cooler than this. Yeah. And it's still there. I still get that feeling when it starts out. Oh, yeah. Out. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Tom, I, don't, I kind of feel Clooney was probably looking for this role, because he's kind of... he He is the kind of the good guy... But not, because let's be real, he knows what his brother's doing. And then, man, you, you don't like Tarantino, which is also smart, because I feel like usually Tarantino's kind of likable 
somewhat in his movies. Well, handsome but, actors like that really yeah. are a lot of times. But <laughs> but I mean, he's completely unlikable. And then I feel like you that makes Clooney unlikable because he knows, like, he just keeps letting his brother do what he's doing. Um, and then it's kind of like you don't. This is kind of like another movie where it's like, uh, kind of like how Scream felt, where it's like anything can happen, like anybody anybody can die. Um, and that's before you even get to the final act. Um, so just this weird, um, kind of has that weird seventies vibe of like, a kind of like on the road movie where they're, you know, they're taken hostage. And so you don't know, is the family going to make it or, um, you know, what's going to happen. And then plus you also get Cheech Marin in several roles. Several so. roles. <laughs> yeah. I think he's yeah. got three. <laughs> three. Yep. Um, and Tarantino wrote the script for natural born killers. And so you've got kind of elements of that, like you're talking about with the the, the, the spree criminals and, and the road movie. Juliette there. Lewis was the it girl back then, too. She was in so many, like, more independent-style movies. It's kind of unbelievable. And and once you see her in something, you realize how absent she's been since that era. Like, she really was so present during that era. Mm-hmm. And one of the last big things I remember her doing is uh, old school. Yeah, I don't know if she's been anything since then. Has she like made some appearances like on the Connors and stuff like that? But probably, mm-hmm. yeah. She did a lot of music too. Got a band. Yeah, I'm not crazy about her as an actor. I'm going to say that just out there. Yeah, she's. I mean, she's an acquired taste. Yeah, she's a, she's a little, little different. <laughs> yeah, she's she's fine. You know what I mean? Like she. I'm not saying she's not good at her roles. I'm just saying she's just not for me. Yeah. Just surprising how clearly she was sought after during that time. Oh yeah. To then it just dry up and you really don't see it anymore. Mm-hmm. But she really was just a staple of the nineteen nineties. She was Chevy's favorite Audrey. <laughs> it was funny literally while we were watching this and having this exact same conversation, I said it's funny that uh, she's not one of my favorites, but she's in one of my favorite films of all time which is Christmas Vacation <laughs> I thought you were going to say Cape Fear <laughs> <laughs> no Ugh. Um, let's talk <laughs> about that opening conversation uh, at the gas station about uh, a certain boy working in a kitchen at his mother's restaurant and how it gives the sheriff stomach and intestinal problems <laughs> and how just watching that I said this film would be canceled. Oh yeah, no, yeah. you cannot. Yeah. You could not have that conversation in a film today. No, yeah, no. Just oh, the work. guy's name's escaping me. Who's who's working at the gas station? He's in like Winder's Bone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in everything. He he's Saul Star from Deadwood. He's Kenny Powers' brother in Eastbound and Down. But he's a great actor. Yeah, they got him. him and Michael Parts as a sheriff. I mean, yeah. it's just right out of the jump, you're just going to be filled with with solid character actors. Oh yeah, yeah. It is a great open, though. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's <laughs> the whole. He's like, I am not fucking telling the sheriff what's going on. I'm just doing what I normally do, and you guys are in here pointing your guns at me. I'm just trying to do what's right. Oh yeah. If I told him he couldn't use the bathroom, then something would be weird. And you're getting that great cold open that uh, <clears throat> Tarantino had already established with his movies. Yeah. So far. Yeah. Just th- that whole just leading to crazy, crazy chaos. Bunch of dialogue, kind of building the scene. Yeah, it's such a great open. Love it. Thoughts on the open? Yeah, <laughs> it opened. Glad yeah. you guys watched the movie. 
But even then, too, <laughs> as slick and clever, like uh, when they, you know, they're having the shootout with the clerk, and just right from the get go, like um, Clooney just raises up and kicks the shelf above him, which makes the toilet paper fall down, which he's going to throw to no the yeah toilet paper and lighter lighter mm-hmm. fluid, and it's just like. No one was making movies like this yeah. at that time. And this is a perfect example of where you're marrying the two. Yeah. Because you have all the Tarantino dialogue, but this is exactly like what's going on in Desperado. Yes. This, this choreographed violence. Yes. That's just wildly entertaining to watch. You're having two students of Grindhouse Films putting their talents together mm-hmm. to make something that's in, very entertaining. And with a whole shit ton of money behind it. Yes. There's <laughs> nothing skimped on in this movie. <laughs> right. They blow up the damn gas station right after that. <laughs> Um, and then I it can't stress enough how much Clooney owns this role. I mean, he absolutely leans into it. And you don't think for one second while you're watching it that it's the future heartthrob. I mean, he, he really, he he's good in the role. I mean, this has got to be around the time of I ER. Mean, future. Right? He, oh, well, yeah. he already was the heartthrob. Okay. I'm not talking about actual yeah. No, beauty. no, no. But what I'm saying, yeah. No, I, I agree with you in that, like, other people knew Clooney. I mean, he's in... He Rose wasn't Man. an unknown at this he time. He was on right. Roseanne. He was on... Yeah. ER. But he's a superstar he This is where... This is not a superstar. This is where... This is not him being a soap opera actor. Yeah. This is him showing his real chops. Yeah. So I... Yes, I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm disagreeing <laughs> to agree with you. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, I wasn't saying he was an obscure indie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. But yeah. I actually but, don't like George Clooney in movies, if I'm being honest. I don't think he's that good of an actor. Todd just put his dick in both of your mouths. Hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> Rejected. <laughs> I, I re- renounce that. Vinny, <laughs> <laughs> you were going to say something? <clears throat> no, I was going to wait until we got into the second half. He was tired of you gushing. Um, I think all <laughs> I've got left... Oh, and just, again, these lines. So... This is going to be a Rodriguez bit, but you know they pull into the hotel. The hotel is called the Dew Drop In, which always reminds me of Charlie Daniels Band, Uneasy Rider. So just those fun names for hotels and bars back in the day, like the Stumble In, the Dew Drop In, you know. Um, and when Clooney is in there just banging on that bell, trying to get the guy <laughs> to come up to the front. And he's like, "The hell are you? What the hell are you banging on that damn bell?" Where he's like, "I want a room, you mean ass bastard, or you mean old <laughs> bastard?" He's like, "Okay." Like, I just, just the writing is so close. Yeah, and the presentation, too. They, they come back um, after Clooney's left Tarantino in there, and the way that they show just the flashes of the carnage uh, in the room of what he's done to this woman, it's so effective. Rather than, like, paint some gratuitous uh, imagery up, it's it's actually pretty chilly. It's the way very they effective. And just him, that dialogue that he has with him there, when he's like, is this my fault? Have I done this? Like, have I enabled you to be this monster? Because I don't do this. Why do you do this? And why do I allow you to do this? And like the whole, now that I'm like 40, I'm like, you should just kill your brother. (laughs) 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 It's just, you got cut dead weight, brother. It's spoken like an only child. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it's these really good set pieces, chunk by chunk. And then we end up with the great stuff as we're approaching the border and getting them across and all the high drama of the inspection in there and the interactions with that. But do we want to jump straight into... I was going to say, that's another moment where we also have another moment where it's time to kill him, where where he's just like, I don't care that the cops are... It's like, kill him. Please kill your brother. (laughs) Yeah, right when they're arguing inside the RV bathroom. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you're also hearing what he's hearing Juliet Lewis saying in that one scene. Like, just, oh, he's slimy. He's not well. Yeah, it's gross. He's not well. <laughs> All right. And then the twist. So now we go from, I feel like Tarantino in Hateful Eight where he's explaining what's happening. And now we go from a film that was a crime thriller to a full-on horror film. Which this movie, I, th- I feel like runtime's like an hour and 40-something minutes. Yeah, it's pretty And tight. I was trying to look, but I wasn't paying that much attention. But it's a good, like, almost exactly almost an hour in that the, the, the scene happens. Yeah. Because they're in the bar, and then at like one hour in is when the first uh, first transformation happens. And you can kind of see, too, the way that he, with with Quentin's movies, he takes stuff out of linear approach right. to the narrative. You can see this as in these great just segments, like to where if you wanted to, you could do the same thing. You could rearrange them. But it moves very swiftly because of that, because each one is engaging, and then we're, but it still pushes the story along. And so this is really kind of the bridge in between the genres of the movie is the dance. Yeah. You have this great dance from Salma Hayek who is just this absolute beauty. Um, and Todd, you were saying in, on the drive-in that she was scared of snakes. She is not, not she was, she is terrified of snakes. And uh, also I don't think they choreograph that scene at all. And that's probably why. Cause I can only imagine if you're terrified of something, you're not like, well, let's do it over and over again. I do have a grievance with Rodriguez and it's the same thing, a grievance that I have with Kevin Smith. How dare you cast Salma Hayek as a stripper and not show me one singular titty? <laughs> they, couldn't afford, they couldn't afford her titties. Can I tell you that I'm not afraid of constrictor snakes. I don't fuck with pit vipers. Uh, I'm not afraid of constrictor snakes, but I just don't like that white and yellow color scheme. Oh, that albino snake. shit? Don't yeah. like it. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of just uh, killing all of them. Yeah, hate them, <laughs> hate them, hate them. I won't even... I'm just going to be quiet because we just got canceled. <laughs> That's fine. That just means it'll keep snakes away from So, me. So the dance happens. Yes. Salma Hayek's beautiful. Uh, Quentin writes also, a scene where he can Danny Trejo's never looked better either. Let's say that. He was just out of prison for that, wasn't he? Like, he hadn't been out long, had he? Probably not. I don't think so. All five foot one of his glory. <laughs> well, he was in uh, He was in movies prior to this. Was he? Yeah. How many, though? Like he was in that one prison movie from American early 90s. Blood in, Blood, 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 Blood Out. Blood Out. Which yeah. is a damn good movie. Yes, it is. Was he, was this, this was probably before Bubble Boy. <laughs> I'm sure it was. <laughs> God damn it. I'm not going to look at this movie again. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. Watch Bubble Boy. <laughs> so we had, we had the dance and then. Uh, all hell breaks loose. Hey-o! We got a whole big ass bar full of vampires. As I love to say. And the man in the back yelled, everyone attack, and yeah. turned into a ballroom blitz. So, I'm, I honestly can't remember at this point because it's been so long, but I like to think that I was surprised by this the first time I watched it. They didn't market this as that, did they? I can't I mean, the remember. title kind of implies a little remember. bit. I feel like they marketed it more of what the first half of the movie is. I mean, again, I knew because I knew going in. I will say, though, that after, again... A whole hour, my dad saying, "I thought you said this was scary." <laughs> that my dad's like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, so I mean, we can kind of just hit highlights, but there's there's really not a lot of turns at this point. Afterwards, it's we've got our characters here in the bar. Uh, we get to know a few others. Sex Machine, played by Tom Savini, uh, with his uh, very Im- impressive his, his wiener Gatling. Gun. Yeah, his, <laughs> I couldn't have put it better. Um, Fred Williamson, the old. Uh, 
just black exploitation greatness oh, yeah. in there. Um, and like I said, you got um, Nicotero popping up in a small role as well, sitting at the table with the sex machine. But uh, it, it's just chaos. You've got um, our main characters that are in there with the criminals, and they have to be uh, until dawn. And now they have to be in there uh, to sur- to survive until they can escape. Um, as it, we have vampires just go ape shit, and it's want. very understated, so it's easy to overlook. But Harvey Keitel is fantastic in this movie, he, like yeah. especially because at this point you've seen Harvey and Quentin's movies playing the Wolf and Pulp Fiction. He plays the uh, the, the uh, what's the Larry in Reservoir Dogs, one of the gangsters. And then to completely flip that and really show what else he can do as this this uh, pastor who's lost his faith and has lost his wa- because of the death of his wife and is out here with his kids. Just it's a whole different performance, and I really it's understated, but it's done very very well. And potentially facing the worst of scenarios with his children there, mm-hmm. and not only leading them, but the criminals who have put them here. And him kind of pushing that aside to try and help even down as things get worse and worse for him. Um, but it's true because the, as the movie shifts, the, the, the first half with the, the crime elements to it, it's George Clooney's movie. And then when it flips over, it's way more Kaitel. Mm-hmm. He dominates the, the second half of the movie. And just that he is, uh, he's the rational voice of reason to the right. film. Um, you know, right to when they get, you know, every, he breaks down everything. Like he, he's very rational about every conversation well you can't do this because of that this can't happen until this and then right even when they walk into the titty twister and, and they're like you can't drink here this place is for the bikers and truckers which i love is that the security guard is like i'm gonna count to three <laughs> and Clooney's like good i am too <laughs> and the security guard's like one Clooney's like two and kaitel's like wait you see this this is a class whatever driver's license for my recreational vehicle. So therefore I am a truck driver and we are welcome in this establishment. And it lowers that temperature. But then to take that same rationale to when he gets bitten and he puts that gun to his head and he tells his kids, you either tell me that you're going to kill me when I turn or I'm going to kill myself now. I mean, that's, that's heavy. That's a fucking sobering scene. And he also points out the reality of options further than that, which is you have about an hour where yep. I can help you. So let's go right now. Yep, we got to do it. Do it now or don't do it. Yeah. yeah, he's he grounds all of it. And just to add, it's it's unrelated, but I really love all of the stuff that they have stolen from all these different trucks that they've got back there for them to just <laughs> yeah. rummage through, yeah. that they, they put together all their weapons from. It's such a great little element that you don't really fully understand in the moment. Yeah. But then when we see our last shot later and you see all the the trailers, then it, you kind of rewind. and Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and again, and that's what makes it so slick. That's what makes it so sharp is that these are the kind of things that Rodriguez and Tarantino think about mm-hmm. to put into a film. Well, you have the band that's playing the, the, body <laughs> the bodies as instruments yeah. once they begin. Which I feel like he... Rodriguez has him in numerous movies. Like he's maybe playing, they're maybe playing in Desperado during yeah. one of the scenes. But yeah, it's funny. Um, I also really like the presentation of the vampires. I feel like they play on more of the grotesque nature yes. of like Coppola's, you know, yeah, Bram Stoker. I feel like they're almost more like snake vampires mm-hmm. than than like you know like uh, the, they definitely weren't basing it off like pretty pretty vampires. Yeah, and you 
you also get some fun elements that are more like a zombie movie that you normally are not experiencing with vampires that kind of fuse <laughs> these subgenres together in a way where it doesn't try and sell the movie with it, but it's a really fun element to it. A knock is that the special effects do not hold up well. No, the CGI. Yeah, the CGI is really doesn't. bad. Those yeah. morph effects. The morph effect sucks, but I, I feel like when we're not morphing, we're okay. Sure. Yeah, you're yeah. All, you're all right with the yeah. practical stuff. Oh yeah, because you got Nicotero and Sabini yeah, you got all set. the practical <laughs> stuff is fine. It's that use of computer where computer was new. <coughs> I agree. And they forced it. Yes, because they had you know they had more money than God to do whatever they yeah. wanted. When, when you have like that the room full of like the bat vampires, like that's pretty creepy. Yeah, mm-hmm. they look good. Yeah, <coughs> I, I'm not sold on Rodriguez. Like I just don't connect with it in the same way that other people do. I really like Rodriguez. I like his his outlook. I I love what he is doing like I, I love the 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 place that it's coming from i don't always connect with his finished product um i don't know what it is about it because like i love the l race network stuff uh and that's like a roku thing now i think that whole channel it's but cool. but i i liked having that and i like a lot of the same things that rodriguez likes there's just something about his delivery with the movies that just doesn't quite connect for me the same way I connect with a Quentin Tarantino directed film. Oh, sure. sure. I, and, oh, yeah. and you can tell they both love that 70s style, but one of them has more of a talent for spinning that into a modern movie. Oh, yeah, I agree completely. The, Grindhouse is a great example of that when comparing the two stories. Uh, I just... I go with Tarantino every time because I just think he's more capable of uh, recreating that but making it palatable for the modern era. Does and, that make sense? Yeah, and we're all real in defeat, so we identify with him <laughs> yes. too. Yes. No, I'm with you though. I like Rodriguez does some really neat stuff. Um, but I, I think there's a reason Tarantino has sort of the You can, that you he can has. certainly feel this is more of a Rodriguez movie mm-hmm. than a Tarantino movie. I still like it. It's fine. I like the movie. Uh, but there is that, that Rodriguez feel to it that I just don't connect with for some reason. Gotcha. So, yeah, we, we lose some other key characters during all of this carnage. Um, obviously, we've referenced um, Kaitel's character getting bit. But we also have uh, Quentin Tarantino, uh, who turns into Frankenstein. Uh, <laughs> Big ass uh, head. Yeah, when he shifts. Um, so, However, I'll, I'll say... That's one of my favorite lines of the film, when George Clooney says, I hope you find the peace and death that I could never give you in life. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is... Yeah. That's good writing. That's why these guys are great. <laughs> they can give you all of the pulpy fun and still pull at you like that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and full disclosure, I've used that when like people I know have died of addiction or things like that. I hope they find the peace in life that they can never find in death. Like yeah. I'm borrowing things from this film to use in sermons. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, cause it's the writing is that good and yeah. that sincere. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Um, but when, when I go, will you, will you service like a, you shouldn't have buried me. I'm not dead. <laughs> <laughs> That's after I baptize you in the waters of Lake Minnetonka. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, we also have the sun, uh, oh yeah, you're just ripped apart. Um, <laughs> this condom's full of holy water. 
Yeah. Yeah, which, is there any anything else anybody wants to mention on all the cool things they come up with like that? <laughs> getting creative. Makeshift crossed as they... There is a lot of cool, like, kills and, like, all that stuff is real. When the action cuts loose and you're just watching vampires get killed left and right, there are some really cool... Yeah. Uh, it's choreographed very it's like, well. Uh, Fred Williamson impaling four people on a upside down table. <laughs> <clears throat> I think that was him. It's hard the, to keep track. The, of yeah, the, the jackhammer with the stake. Yep. <laughs> and that's such a great scene when they pop that door open. When it's like it's time to face it. This is our only oh, option. Yeah, and they just go, man. Guys, wouldn't it be just the same thing to have that thing not running at all? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> listen, that's a fair. I don't thing. know why you hate fun. <laughs> <laughs> but let's be honest. That's what I thought the whole time. I was like, man, that looks cool. And then I was like, wouldn't it just be easier to have it just not moving and just stab people with Think it? about how much muscle it takes, Vinny. <laughs> have you had to stab a lot of people in the chest? I don't think well, you Well, it's have. only moving back and forth about two inches. I can understand it's thrusting the whole length of it, but it's not. Um, the sex machine turns into a crazy, like, devil dog. <laughs> That's a great transformation. Yep, they got yeah. the effects in, uh, just on full display there. Uh, what was Fred Williamson's character's name? Was it Frost? I'm drawing a blank here. I don't here. remember. Sure. But yeah, he, he turns. Basically, we've reached dawn at, at, at the end of our movie here, and we've lost every character we know except for two. Yeah, George Clooney and um, Juliet Lewis as they go out and they part ways. He's got his people that are going to go take him to like the sanctuary for criminals that he's got lined up, and um, he gives her money and she leaves uh, without her family. Quite a twenty four hours for her. And again, I, I I keep harping on the writing, but it was brilliant that she. I mean, it makes total sense that she's like, I've got nothing else. I should just go with them. And George Clooney says something like. I'm a bastard, but I'm not that big of a bastard. You just need to fuck off. Like, don't come with us, because right. this is a life you don't want. By the way, guys, one of my notes to backtrack says that Quentin Tarantino transforms into himself now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Couldn't let that go. Big old head. <laughs> yeah, big old dome. So, yeah, I thought that was a great... In, but then the big reveal. I'm let oh, you it's, have it. oh, it's such a great, great little yes, punctuation because we watch the vehicles of the people, the characters we've gotten to know, the RVs pulling off, and we pan out and we see that this bar is on top of like what eight layers of like an Aztec temple. Yeah, and you can see that it has just been—they've just ravaged through. And it just drops People off into forever. like a canyon behind it, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's just all these it's old like a... semi trailers and shit all behind it where they've lured people in. Yeah. Killed them off and then just dumped all their shit over the. Oh, over it's the such edge. a good ending. Until it's been there forever. Yeah. yeah. It's really cool. Because, like, the history nerd part of me, I'm like, oh, it's like an old Aztec vampire curse. Mm-hmm. You know, like an old El Santo movie or something like that. And then, so the only thing is, do we want to record an intro? Where one of you guys does Cheech Marin stuff for the entrance <laughs> that just goes on and on and on. I think Todd would be the only guy that could do it. I can dig it. I can do it. <laughs> uh, so, additional things for this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, open January 19th, 1996. Uh, on a $19 million budget, opening weekend $10 million. It grossed $25 million. Body count 122. <laughs> it uh, had two direct-to-video sequels. Two is really bad, and three is actually really good. Three is a prequel, and it's a prequel like uh, way, way back. 
We had also discussed if we wanted to do this, whether or not we felt like we would cover the other two going down the road, and none of us were too excited about two direct-to-video sequels, so we decided this was probably the best fit to cover Three is The Hangman's Daughter, and it's like set back like in the 1800s. It's actually good. Hmm. I'd give it a shot. Uh, And it also has a TV series, which I've heard nothing but good things about. I think that I watched the first episode of that, and it, it didn't grab me. Uh, but basically, the first episode is the first movie again. Okay. With Just different actors. Tighter. Yeah. Good times. Interesting. Has anybody watched Full Tilt Boogie, the documentary about the making? I have not. Mm-mm. It's been a special feature on every format that I've bought this film on, but I've just never watched huh. it. Yeah. I'd like to check it out, though. I'm like, I think it's after the credits on the VHS. I think it's on the DVD, and it's certainly <laughs> on the Blu ray. So I don't know. Okay, well, wrapping up another edition of Monster Peace Theater. What a couple of jams. uh, Before we wrap up here, uh, we have a special announcement from Hot Toddy. So, uh, I'm putting myself in that great big zoo in the sky. (laughs) Uh, No, in all seriousness, uh, I'm just going to step away from the show for, um, um, well, for... I don't know if we're good or for a while or not sure, but uh, just taking a break. So I'm not sure for how long. So, uh, but just to uh, to explore some other stuff. So always welcome back. Absolutely, always definitely one of our favorite co-hosts. And so um, we wish you the best in whatever you choose to pursue. And just know that the door is always open for you to step right back on and for you to step on my lines just like you (laughs) love to do. I do like that. And just just know that we love you. All right. Yes, sir. Agreed. Door is always open, and uh, we always got to put ourselves before the horror movies. So Yeah. Absolutely. As as each of us have done at different points of the show. so Without question. For sure. Take care of yourself, and uh, if not, we'll see you at the movies. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Closing out for the Midwest Monsters Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, and I've been joined by Professor Wagstaff. Venomous Vinny. Hot toddy. Stay scary.